Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. I'm Scott Corian, your host, and very glad to be back. It's been a, a long time since I've been able to record a, a podcast. Uh, part of that is due this summer. I had to go down to Alabama to do some work with the Air Force, and so that derailed uh, other types of, uh, of ministries, including this one. Uh, but I can tell you now that I'm back that what they often say is true. Dry heat really does make a significant difference. The day I got back uh, to Phoenix from Alabama, it was 113 degrees, which is hot. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it still felt a lot better than the 93 degrees of Alabama, which I had left. So uh, I can verify that uh, the dry heat does make a difference. Uh, but, but jumping back into uh, our, our podcast, look forward to doing a few more this fall. Uh, but I need to complete where I ended the last episode. And really, this, this episode will, will bring to conclusion the last three. And my point has been in this whole uh, three-part series that in a society like ours that is less and less being shaped by Christian values uh, and more so being shaped by other values, we have to be very intentional about discipling our kids or somebody else is going to because there, there is no neutrality. And, um, you know, I began a few months ago uh, starting this whole thing because of, of that famous Disney leaked conversation where the, the Disney executive bragged about um, or at least spoke about their not so secret queer agenda. Uh, but since that time, you know, there's been a lot of other things in the culture that have that have validated this. We've been through the month of June, which is now Pride Month for us. And I, I think to speak dispassionately about that, what we can say about Pride Month is that it is a cultural mass discipling event. It is a, a catechism of sorts from the culture to all of us, promoting very aggressively a particular worldview and values that are just very different from the biblical worldview and values as it relates to human sexuality. And where do we find our identity? All of these things. And now Pride Month is enlisting the help of media and businesses and sports teams to do it. You know, I, I, I took my son to a, out for breakfast back in June, and I remember walking into the restaurant and finding a, a giant billboard there with a Pride breakfast special, complete with rainbow sprinkles, uh, staring us in the face. And this is with my eight-year-old son. And so this is, this is, whatever else you want to say about Pride Month, it is a discipling event. Um, it's, it's, pushing, uh, teaching us, it's teaching us that there is a new sexual morality, that something good celebrated, something is better than what it's replacing. And this is now what the new normal should be. And we're all being influenced by that. Um, and so we have to, we have to disciple our kids because other voices will. Now, of course, the need to prepare our kids for a secular age is much bigger than just this issue. There are many other values and beliefs that have nothing to do with human sexuality and yet still completely undermine biblical faith. And we have to aggressively counter that influence uh, as we as we are able to. We have to work hard to prepare our kids for the secular world. And in this final episode, to bring all of this to a conclusion, I want to talk about a third way we can prepare our kids for a secular world, and that is to restore our children to the life and worship of the church as early as possible. The church is the institution that Jesus Christ founded for the specific purpose of making disciples. You may remember Jesus and his great commission, go therefore and make disciples. 
uh, the, the church exists for the distinct purpose of teaching all that Jesus has commanded. The church is the place where Christian faith is both nurtured and strengthened, even in the midst of a hostile world. There is no other t- institution in the world that has that mandate. We should remember that. And last episode, I, I said that parents are the primary youth pastors of their kids and should see themselves that way. And I think that that is right. But as parents, one of the best things we can do as youth pastors is make sure that our family is actively involved in a local church. And one of the best gifts we can give our children is to teach them from the earliest age possible that no matter how busy our family is, no matter what sports season it is, we are committed to being part of the church. This is one of the many ways they will learn the lesson that God is really the most important reality in our world and should be in their world as well. But I want to get more specific because I think, as we all know, just dragging our kids to the church property is not what I'm talking about. That's not enough. Uh, We want our kids to be connected to the church. We want to connect them relationally. We want them involved in service or connect them to serving. And we also want to connect them to worship. And uh, so connected relationally, be brief on this. When I say that our kids need to be connected relationally to the church, I'm not talking about connected to kids their own age. Now, I certainly hope that that is true, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about connecting children, and, and particularly junior high and high school age, to older generations in the church. I'm talking about multi-generational discipleship and relationships. In that book, Faith for Exiles, that I've been referencing throughout uh, this podcast series, um, they say that one of the key factors that they have found for young men and women who have shown resilient faith, that is, they have gone through junior high and high school, gone into college and young adult, and they're still professing Christ. They haven't left the church. One of the key factors for them that they have found is the presence of multi-generational relationships. Uh, and, And by that, they define a relationship within a Christian adult or mentor that is not paid to be your friend. So in other words, someone other than just the, the 18 year old or 19 year old youth pastor that you throw in there. And uh, this is a quote from the book, the teenagers who, the, the teenager who looks out at the congregation and thinks, these are my people, I belong here, is most likely to look up and say, you are my God. So that's their uh, take on it. And of course, that means one of the clear takeaways that, that churches for the 21st century should, should seek to do is to prioritize and promote multi-generational discipleship and relationships within the church. Uh, We should want our children to be part of the broader life of the church, relationally speaking, not isolated from it. And I do share uh, the concerns that many have raised that modern youth ministry, as well-intentioned as so much of it is, in general, has actually isolated our youth from the broader congregation and prevented a lot of multi-generational relationships from forming. And so now we've got more and more 17-year-old, 18-year-olds graduating high school and who have been part of a church their entire life, and yet they don't have a single significant relationship with an adult who's not their parent. And I think we can do better than that. And I I think the data that that Barna is finding is bearing that out. We, we, We need to do better than that. We need to work to connect our children relationally to the broader church. So that's the first connection. But we also want our children to be connected to the service of the church. 
And I'll be very brief on this, but again, another quote from Faith for Exiles that I, I really think we need to hear and is so true. This is a quote. The church is one of the least demanding environments for young people in terms of what they are asked to do mentally and emotionally and of what is expected of them when it comes to serving and giving. We're just so happy to have them there, end quote. And I, I just think this is spot on. Uh, this is spot on. We, we are so concerned that our kids won't like church or won't want to go to church that we don't ask anything of them. We, we don't push them at all. We don't challenge them. Uh, because we're afraid that they won't like it and then you know they won't want to go back to church. And this is a mistake. Uh, we need to give our kids ownership. And again, I'm thinking particularly of that, that junior high, high school age. As they get to those age, they need to be given ownership. They need to be taught to use their time, their talent, their treasure in service in age-appropriate ways. They can pray for people. You know, in my last church, we had you know, some of the youth Sunday school classes, they would write notes to, to some of our, our shut-ins uh, and pray for them. I mean, there, there's little ways. There's, there's ways to do that, but we need to push our kids a little bit. We need to connect them to the service of the church. So they're not just consumers. And then finally, and I'll spend the longest time on here, we need to connect our children to worship. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is the actual worship service with the rest of the congregation. I am a big believer in trying to include children from the earliest ages into the main worship service of the church. And I am absolutely convinced that there are huge benefits to this for our children. In fact, uh, one of the distinctive marks of Sojourn Church, which uh, of course, we're planting here in Scottsdale is that we we do encourage keeping young kids in the service from the earliest of ages. And because of that, we just don't offer a lot of kids ministries during the worship service itself. Uh, we have a staff nursery for the younger kids. And and starting this fall, actually, we, we will add an optional uh, opportunity for some of our younger kids aged you know roughly six to ten to leave during part of the service um, and, and go through some teaching in the catechism uh, uh, but after that you know they'll come back in and anyone older than that we we want kids in the service we want them there as much as possible and I recognize that that's just not the norm. Uh, in the American church in general anymore. It's certainly not the norm in Scottsdale, as far as I can tell. Um, there's not a lot of churches that, that are doing that. And in my experience, not just here in Scottsdale, but also in my previous church in Michigan, because we had a similar uh, philosophy there, in general, that's that tends to be perceived very negatively uh, by parents who come in for the first time. And, and what I mean by that is usually... When, when a visiting family comes in and the parents find out, hey, uh, you know, we actually don't have anything for your 11-year-old in service or 10-year-old, they actually get to come in with you. The first reaction I have found is typically not, oh, wow, this is so amazing. I, I, I love this. This is, this is wonderful. Tell me more. Uh, the reaction is usually more of, uh, unspoken, of course, but it's usually more, oh, great. Uh, you mean our kids are going to come in and bother us all service and probably distract other people and embarrass us. Yeah, don't call us, we'll call you. And and we don't we don't see them again. Now, I have to say if that's your reaction to the idea of keeping young kids in service, I'm very sympathetic. Uh, it wasn't until someone talked to me about this years ago and I began thinking about it, read some stuff on it uh, on why it's good, why we would do this. 
and honestly began to see some of the benefits of it that I became a real believer and advocate. Uh, And because it's so unique, I I do want to offer an explanation uh, with a couple of reasons of why we, we do try to connect our kids to worship from the earliest of ages and think that honestly, as far as preparing our kids for a secular world, this brings huge long-term benefit, even though it is admittedly more challenging up front. So why do we do this? Now, let me offer you three reasons, which is a combination of both theological and practical reasons. The first reason is, is just theological, we could say. It, it gets at the idea, what is a worship service? What actually is happening? And we believe that there's something unique that happens in the weekly corporate gathering of God's people to worship. Uh, uh, this uniqueness is based on passages like that, that famous passage when Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And, and um, it's built on Old Testament patterns. You know, in the Old Testament, God's, of course, is always present with his people, but he had a special presence at the tabernacle and then temple. Uh, a special glory cloud, and God's people would come then to the temple. But in the New Testament, we see that the church is the temple. And so when we gather together as God's people, uh, we're told in several books of the New Testament that that the glory cloud, so to speak, uh, uh, is present there. God's presence is in a unique way when we meet to worship him. And so if you believe that, then you, you do believe that what happens when God's people gather together is unique and powerful, and it just can't be reproduced by any other church ministry, regardless of how well done it might be. And of course, you want to bring your kids in there. I mean, you read in the Gospels about parents wanting to bring their children to Jesus just so that they could be in his presence, even though they were too young to understand his teaching. They just wanted their children to be with Jesus. And uh, a modern day equivalent Uh, One way that we do this is we bring them to the place where Jesus has promised his special presence through his spirit, and that is when the church meets for worship. So that's one reason why we want to encourage even younger kids to be in the service. We want them in the presence of Jesus. We, We want them in the place where Jesus promises to be at work. So that's a theological reason. Let me give you two practical reasons, though. Um, Another reason why we, we want to keep young kids in worship is that it, it simply doesn't get easier to integrate your children into worship the longer that you wait. You know, every church, of course, does make the transition and wants to make the transition of, of kids from a, a children's church type thing to the main service. And we assume that the transition will be easier the older they get. And I just want to tell you, I believe the opposite is actually the case. Yes, of course, it is true that younger kids uh, will be bored. As they uh, at times, as they're in service, they will be restless. They may have a hard time sitting still. And yes, they're, they're, they may even tell you, you know, I don't like it. I don't like sitting in service. It's boring. Um, of course, that, that, that is true. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is that a good reason in and of itself not to keep them in service? Because after all, our kids, our younger kids get bored in all sorts of areas. They get bored at school. How many times have my kids told me, I don't want to go to school. It's boring. I don't like it. I have a hard time sitting still. But of course, we rightly don't let them stop going to school. We try to help them. We encourage them because it's important. And I would just make the observation that if we rightly, I believe, would encourage our kids to keep going to school and not let them not go, 
how much more should we continue to encourage them with regard to church, with regard to spiritual reality? Uh, because this this has to do with their souls. This has to do with with eternity. Uh, and and frankly, the, the, the discussions that come from our kids' struggles to be in worship is a good opportunity for discipleship. It's a good opportunity to say, as I have with, with my kids as they've gotten older, you know, you're right. Sometimes church is boring. It, it is. Yeah, and you know what? Even adults get bored in church. And, and even dad who's preaching, sometimes I get bored with my own sermon. Sometimes I'm thinking, man, Scott, hurry up and finish this thing. But, but listen, why do we go to church? Right? Why is it that we go every week and, and praise God? You know, and, it, and, and it's an opportunity to begin to have conversations early on that church is not primarily for our entertainment. We go to church to praise God, to worship Him because He's worthy. It's an opportunity to teach them, you know, the Christian life is not always some kind of intense spiritual high. And, um, you know, sometimes being, loving God and following Jesus means doing things that seem routine. Uh, and if our kids grow up expecting that church is going to be funny or personally tailored to them all of the time, they're going to have a very difficult time making the transition to adult church because that's just not what the church is. That's not what the Christian life is. Now, the other thing to say on this is that the boredom, restlessness, and not liking church that younger kids experience doesn't go away automatically just because they get older. Uh, just because they, they hit 16, it it's not going to make it necessarily easier for them to integrate into church. They're still going to be bored, restless, and not like church. Now, they may be better at hiding it. They may be better at sitting still. But in terms of actually engaging in worship, the longer we wait to introduce them to worship and the more accustomed they are to having their own tailored worship experience, I actually think the harder it's going to be. I mean, if our goal is to teach our children to understand what worship is, and to love the worship of God, the earlier they are exposed to it, the better. And, and I do think, and it's not just me, there's been a lot of other Christian leaders, you've probably heard this, who have been making this argument for many years. I remember hearing this back in seminary 15 years ago. One of the reasons why so many kids are growing up in the church and, and not making the transition once they hit college and beyond, they're, they're leaving, is that they were never part of the church to begin with. They, they were part of the youth group, but they were kept out. They were totally isolated. They, they never were integrated into the worship of the church. And so once they, they finally hit 18 and they have to start going to adult church, uh, this is boring. And, and I don't want to be a part of this. And they, they leave, but the reality is they were never part of it. They were never integrated into it. And so, again, the earlier we can get them in, and used to it, and be able to teach them and discuss things, honestly, the better it's going to be. And I, I think research bears this out. And this is at least in part because of what kids are exposed to week in and week out over years as they sit in the worship service with everybody else. And that leads to the last reason why we keep kids in worship. And it's simply this, weekly worship is a very important, I might even say vital tool for making disciples. You know, sometimes I think we think of discipleship as separated from what happens on Sundays, but it's not. It, 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 discipleship might be broader than just coming to church on Sunday, but, but what we do weekly in worship is a really important part. It's vital to the life and health of our, of our spirituality, of our spiritual faith. 
Uh, and so just think about the benefits uh, of keeping kids in worship from the earliest age. First of all, they learn what it means to worship. If, if nothing else, it's valuable for kids to see their parents and the whole congregation worshiping. Uh, as other people have said, worship is both caught and taught. And our kids learn that God is someone to be praised. He's great. He's glorious as they see their parents praising God and other adults that they know and respect praising God. So they learn what it means to worship. They also learn the content of the Christian faith. As they sit in services week in and week out, they hear the Bible read. Right? They hear the reading of Scripture. They, they hear the preaching of the, uh, of the Bible from the pastor. Now, preaching, of course, is a key means of helping us all grow, shaping our worldview, uh, helping us resist you know, the, 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 the lures of the secular world in which we live in and applying the Bible to real life issues. And, and so we want our kids to be a part of that. Our kids see the Lord's Supper uh, every week. Uh, they, they will pray, be involved in prayers. They'll confess sin. They'll learn about sin and forgiveness. They'll recite the, the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, and learn uh, 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 to connect their faith with uh, the generations that have come before it. Uh, so week after week, our, our, our kids pick this up. And it's not just about shaping their minds. It's about shaping their hearts. You know, as I have said to our church body um, several times, I think, since we've started worshiping, weekly worship is a way that we declare war on all of the things in this world that would seek to destroy our faith. Worship is a way when we gather weekly to praise God, we are recalibrating our hearts and minds and will, reminding ourselves of who God is and who we are. When we sing uh, the hymns, I've read one writer um, who has compared the hymns that the church sings and the songs to the national anthem. We're singing our national anthem, just not as Americans, as heavenly citizens. When we praise God, we are, we are uh, declaring his greatness and that everything in this world can't satisfy us like he can. He's better. When we hear God's word read and preached, you know, again, we hear his voice. We learn what is good and true and right. We're pulled out of our own stories and reminded we're part of a bigger story. And so on and so forth. I mean, worship is how we are shaped week in and week out spiritually, how our faith is strengthened and nourished. And of course, we want our kids there. We, we want them to be a part of that as well. The earlier they can be in there, uh, the better. Now, let me deal with a common objection here, uh, which is simply that kids don't understand. Kids don't understand. They can't understand what's going on, particularly young kids. You can't leave them in there. And, and let me say this. First of all, kids understand far more than we give them credit for, even young kids. It's just simply not true that a kid gets nothing out of worship. And I've had many parents tell me how surprised they were, even when it looked like their kids were totally not paying attention, that they would later make a comment or ask a question about the service or something they heard, which showed that they actually were listening. And actually, that that is one of the benefits of keeping kids in. There, there's a, a portion of the book of Exodus where Moses is commanding the people of Israel to keep the Passover and uh, to have the Passover meal every year. And he envisions that children will be present. And he says to the people of Israel, when your children ask you, what do these things mean? This is what you shall say. In other words, them being present was an opportunity for teaching and discipleship. And I can just tell you anecdotally that keeping kids in worship, it creates a lot of those opportunities, right? What, what does it mean? What, what, what is the bread and wine about? Why do we come to the supper? What is sin? 
And you get to have a lot of great conversations with your kids. And with my kids, I'll, after Sunday, uh, I'll typically ask them on the way home, hey, what did you hear today? What did you hear in service? Tell me everything you heard. Uh, what questions do you have? And sometimes we end up having some really remarkable conversations considering my kids are eight and 10. Some, now, not every week, but it, it really is a discipleship opportunity. Okay, well, let me wrap this up. But, but here's my final word uh, for preparing our children for a secular age. And that is this. Pray. Pray for your children. Because ultimately, our hope is in God for the next generation, including our kids. All of the challenges of a secular world is daunting. And if it's up to us to get it all right as parents, or if it's up to us as churches to get it all right, we're in trouble. Uh, But God is the one who's the author and sustainer of faith. So pray, pray for your kids, pray for yourselves, pray that God would use all of these tools of discipleship to bring them to the feet of Jesus, and that the church will not only survive, but thrive in the next generation. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. Goodbye.